I got a question for you. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you are morning people? Let me see your hands. See, morning people's hands go straight up because they're awake already, right? How many of you are not morning people? Raise your hands. Okay, the non-morning people's hands typically go up a little bit slower because they're still waking up. Even though it's 11 a.m., uh, like they're, they're still waking up. They still need like five more cups uh, of coffee. So, so some of you guys uh, get up before the sun rises. Others of you get up after the sun rises. My, my wife uh, gets up before the sun rises many mornings. She's a personal trainer, and so she does uh, boot camps. And a lot of times, many mornings, she's done already two uh, classes of boot camps before the sun ever rises. Okay, that's what you call like type A overachievers. Okay. You morning people, you're the type A overachievers. Us non-morning people that get up after the sun rises. Uh, we're like the type B, just people who like to have fun. Okay. So, uh, that's the, that's the nicest way to say it. We, we, we like to have fun. So my wife gets up before the sun rises, but I get up. I normally get up after the sun rises. Okay. And listen, You may not have realized this, but that's actually God's will and plan for you to get up after the sun rises. And some of you are like, man, I knew I was in the right place. I knew I came to the right church because these people like to get up after the sun rises. But listen, that's God's plan and will for you is to arise, is to wake up after the sun rises rises. Let me show you what I'm talking about. If you got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew 28. And if you don't have a Bible, if it's not a translation, you understand very well, you can go to our website on your phone. Uh, just use the web browser, go to the city lbk.church and uh, you can follow along there with this quick message notes and the verses and the points, everything that we're talking about today is there for you to follow along with this. So the city lbk.church. But we're here in Matthew uh, 28 and uh, let's pick up here in verse one. And here's what it says early on Sunday morning. And then we're going to read these red parts together. Okay. We're going to say them together. We're going to participate together. Okay. So early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning. Okay. Early on Sunday morning, a new day was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel. of The Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Okay, here's your cue. Okay, we're going to do this again. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid. He said, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. So the women show up and the angel says, don't be afraid. Like, don't be confused. Like, I know what you are seeing right now isn't what you expected. So don't be afraid. Don't be confused. He was crucified. Okay. And here's what I I love about the way John records uh, Jesus being crucified. He says, John records that when Jesus was crucified before he died, he said three words, it is finished. Now, a lot of us, when we look at Jesus there on the cross and he says these last words and he hangs his head and dies, could be confused or afraid much like the disciples were. Like looking at the savior we thought was the son of God. We thought he was the Messiah, the one that we left everything for the one that we were hoping in. He's now hanging his head on the cross dying and now he's dead. And so you would think that his last words, it is finished 
were words of defeat. Resigning himself to his crucifixion at the hands of the Romans and the Jews. He was defeated. You would think that. Much like the women showing up to the tomb and the angel saying, listen, don't, don't be afraid. I know you thought you were going to see something when you got here. And this isn't what you thought. This isn't what you planned. But, but don't be afraid. You see, when Jesus said it is finished, most of us look at that or we read that just at its face value in the fact that he dies. And we think that that's like a, a game where our kids game is like when they're losing by like 20 or 30 points in a basketball game, right? Or, or if you're down by like 15 points in a baseball game and you're just hoping, just call the game. Just it's 10 run rule, right? Okay. Let's be done. Every, every run, every additional run, you just feel it. You, you feel worse and worse and worse. And you're like, hey, listen, 10 run rule. It, it, it's done. It, it's over. The game is finished. Let's just be done with it. Like mercy, right? Let it be done. Let, let the 10 run rule. Come on, come on. Let's, let's, let's just be done with this because it's getting out of hand. It's embarrassing. And a lot of people look and the disciples must have looked at Jesus hanging on the cross there with his head down when he was crucified saying it is finished. Like that parent who just wants their kid's game to be over with when they're losing. But that's not at all what happens here. That's not at all what's going on. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's your kid's team is up by 30 or 40. Your kid's team is up by 15 or 20 runs. And you're saying it's over. The game is over. It's done. When Jesus says it is finished, this is a triumphant announcement. It's a declaration that it's done. Game over. We win. That's what's happening here when Jesus says it is finished. And here's what I love is that these words, it is finished that John's records uh, Jesus saying are actually said with the same attitude, tone and force that the angel says he is risen. It's triumphant. It's an announcement. It's a declaration that it is finished. He is risen. It's done. Game over. You see in the old covenant, in the Old Testament, Israel would take a sacrifice. They would have to get an animal sacrifice to pay for their sin. And so they would maybe get like a perfect spotless lamb. And they would bring it to the high priest and they would put their hand on the lamb and they would say, listen, this, this lamb is going to die in my place for my sin. And they would recognize that they sinned, that they, their sin was deserving of death but that this animal sacrifice, this lamb is going to die in my place for my sin. And so they would put their hand on the animal's head, recognizing I was the one that sinned. I'm the one deserving of death for my sin. Like it says in Genesis three, the curse of sin is death. I deserve to die, but I'm putting my hand on this animal. This animal is going to die in my place for my sin. The high priest would take the animal. They would shed the blood of the animal, the perfect spotless lamb, and they would take the blood and they would drip it over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And in so doing the sin of the person would be atoned for God's wrath for that person's sin would be met in the blood sacrifice, the lamb that was slain in their place. And so that was the old covenant. You were forgiven of your sin. God's wrath towards your sin was poured out on a sacrifice, a substitute that would die in your place. But today's a new day. And in the new covenant, 
The lamb that was sacrificed, that shed his blood for your sin on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin and my sin, doesn't stay dead on the altar. Three days later, he gets up and walks out of the grave. So in the new covenant, the lamb gets up and walks out of the grave, conquering sin and conquering death. And so it is finished. He is risen is a triumphant announcement that the game is over. Sin and death are no more. Hebrews two says that Jesus came and he took on flesh, God in the flesh so that he could destroy him who holds the power of death. That's Satan. And he could destroy death and sin itself. And so in the new covenant, the sacrifice gets up and walks out of the grave. So check this out. Jesus in this moment is not a victim when he dies on the cross. He's a victor and he proves it by three days later being risen from the dead, conquering sin and conquering death. If you were to just look at the situation, the circumstances, the way the disciples were in this moment, scared and huddled up in a locked house for fear that they were next, you would think Jesus was a victim, that they were victims because they had followed this guy to his death. But Jesus is not a victim. He's a victor. And so the question is, what does that mean for us as his followers? If Jesus isn't a victim, he's actually a victor. What does that mean for you and and me? Well, in Matthew 28, we just read it. Matthew says a new day was dawning. And there couldn't have been a more loaded statement in the history of the world. Now a new day was dawning. And here's what this new day means. Here's what it means for, for you and me today. You're going to see, it means we've got a new faith. And today we're starting a new series that we're going to do for the next few weeks where we're talking about what this new day looks like and unpack those words that Matthew writes here in Matthew 28, that a new day was dawning because Jesus being a victor means that a new day has dawned for you and me. And so today you're going to see that this means for us that we've got a new faith and two things about this new faith that we have in this new day. First of all, we've got a new kind of faith. We've got a new kind of faith because Jesus has been risen from the dead. You and I have a new kind of faith. You see most religions. In fact, even in the old covenant, it was, it was about being a good person or being good enough or doing the right things. And a lot of people look at the church or Christianity and they think that all we're about is keeping people in line, helping people do the right things and keeping people from do the wrong things. Like we've got a new system for you to follow. We've got a new checklist for you to follow. We've got a new code for you to abide by and nothing could be further from the truth. That's not why Jesus came. We've got a new kind of faith. Here's why Jesus came. Jesus did not come to make bad people good or good people better. The Bible actually says that there's no one good. No one is good in the eyes of God whose standard is absolute perfection. And so a lot of us think that we're good if our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. The Bible says, no, all have sinned and none are good. We've all fallen short of God's standard to have a relationship with him and to go to heaven when we die. 
And so we think, a lot of people think the church or Christianity or what Jesus wants for you is to be a a good person. You're a bad person, so he wants to make you a good person or or you're kind of a good person and he wants to make you a, a better person by telling you what to do and what not to do. No, no, no. That's not the kind of faith that we have because Jesus has risen from the dead. He came to make dead people alive. You see, you may not have realized this, but the Bible says you're actually dead in your sin. Ephesians 2. You're dead in your sin. The wages of sin, Romans 3 says, is death. It's the penalty for sin. It's the fine for sin. You break man's law, you pay man's fine. You break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin is death or eternity separated from him in a place called hell. You might think, well, where does this come from? It comes from Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve first sinned, one of the curses of sin that God lays out in Genesis 3 is that we would die for our sin. That everything would be cursed because of sin. The world and you and I, our bodies, everything is dead, dying, or decaying because of sin. The wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. That's the fine for sin. So Ephesians 2 says, you and I are dead in our sin. What can a dead person do? Nothing. A dead person can do nothing. You can't do anything good or right in order to be acceptable to God. We often say around here, good people don't go to heaven because a dead person can't be good. A dead person can't do anything good. Spiritually, Ephesians 2 tells us you are dead in your sin. But God, it says in Ephesians 2, but God, because of his great love for you and I, doesn't leave us in that state. No, he sends Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, death, and then three days later, raises him from the grave, conquering sin and conquering death. So watch this. Ephesians 2 says, you may be dead in your sin, but God makes you alive with Christ. And so watch this. You can rise. You can rise from the dead. Because the sun rose. Ephesians 2, you're dead in your sin, but God makes us alive with Christ. Means this, you can rise from the dead because the sun rose from the dead. You can rise from the dead because the sun rose from the dead. You see, Christians are an event people. We're not a code people. We're not really a right and wrong kind of people. No, we're an event people. And to prove it to you, Paul actually said this. If Christ has not been raised, then our faith, our preaching, everything is useless. It's worthless if Christ has not been raised. You see, Christians are an event people. We're not a code. We're not a system people. We're not a do this or don't do that kind of people. We're not a keep you in line kind of people. No, no, no. Jesus came to make dead people alive. We're an event people people. And if Christ has not been raised, Paul said, then all of our time here is useless. Our preaching use is useless. Our singing is useless. Our praying is useless. There's no reason to go to church. There's no reason to do any of the things that we do if Christ has not been raised. So all of Christianity hinges on the resurrection. Surprisingly, it doesn't actually hinge on the Bible or anything else. Paul said our preaching, our worship, everything, our faith is useless without the resurrection. So we're an event people. 
We learn about the event in the scripture and outside the scripture, but we are an event people. If Christ has not been raised, then our faith is useless. But if he has been raised, Paul says, then he is Lord. You see, we oftentimes as Christians, we think we've kind of cornered the market on the word gospel. But the word gospel was actually around before Jesus ever shows up on the scene. In fact, when the very first Roman emperor came to power, Caesar Augustus, they sent letters out throughout the Roman empire saying, and they started like this, the gospel of Caesar Augustus. You see, gospel is just a a Greek word that means a history, an objective history changing event. And so they sent letters out throughout the Roman empire saying Caesar Augustus is now emperor. And they sent him out everywhere. And they said, this is the gospel about Caesar Augustus, who is now emperor of Rome. It was an objective history changing event for everyone that existed in the Roman empire at that time. It means that the situation had changed. The circumstances have changed. We've got an emperor now. And so you all need to know and respond accordingly. Now, here's what you couldn't do to the gospel of Caesar Augustus. You couldn't say, like we tend to say today, well, he's not my emperor. Right? I mean, we, we, we say that all the time. If something happens and we don't like it, we just say, well, that's not, that's not my emperor or, or, or that's not my Lord or, or, or that's not, uh, you know, that's not my way or that's not my truth. That's, that could be good for you. That's true for you if you want it to be, but that's not my truth. Uh, Jesus isn't my Lord. Caesar isn't my emperor. You didn't get to say that. If you lived in his empire, Caesar Augustus was your new emperor, like it or not. And in the same way, if Jesus has been risen, then he is Lord. Scholars will tell us that Jesus, because of what he said and who he claimed to be, cannot be a good teacher or just have good advice. He's not just a good prophet and we can kind of follow some of the things that we we like about him and then not follow and discard the things that we don't like about him. If Jesus has been risen from the grave, then, then he is Lord. And here's what that means. It means he's God and it means that what he said is true, that he is the way, the truth, and the life and no one goes to heaven except through Jesus. If he is risen, if he's been risen from the dead, then he is Lord. And you can't say, well, he's not my Lord. He's not my God. We don't get to say that because this is his universe. If you live in his universe, then he is your Lord. And the Bible says one day, every knee will bow and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is if it's true or not. And so watch this. If Jesus has been risen, here's what this means. Here's when the angel said he is risen. Here's what he was saying. That means he is Lord. Now, I know some of you might be here and be like, okay, Listen, that's fine if you want to say that, but I I just need God to like prove himself to me. Like, I just need him to do something spectacular for me. And if I see something spectacular and supernatural, then I'll believe if he would just prove himself to me. Oh, you mean like maybe um, creating life from non-life? Or creating a, a planet that's absolutely perfect and suitable for life to grow and to thrive. You know, if our planet was just a tad closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. If it was a little bit further away, we would all freeze to death. God has created life out of non-life and he's put us on a, a planet that is perfectly suitable 
for life. You might say, well, that's great, but he needs to reveal himself to us. Oh, you mean like maybe parting the the Red Sea? Or creating a, a tabernacle where by fire and by cloud, God would come down from heaven and, and meet with, with Moses and with the high priest in a tabernacle. And when this would happen, it was so obvious and clear as to what was happening that all of Israel, the entire nation of Israel, would come out of their tents and watch God come down by fire and by cloud and fill the tabernacle. They would come out of their tents and watch God actually meeting with Moses and they would bow down and worship as they saw God come down and meet with Moses face to face. Or what about God becoming flesh in Jesus and performing miraculous signs and wonders, healing people of, of blindness and, 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 and those who were lame could, could walk and, and raising Lazarus from the grave. Or maybe even dying and then coming back to life himself and showing himself to over 500 people at one time and walking with people and talking with people and eating with people, Acts says, for over 40 days. Showing himself, proving himself to be alive. You know, in all of this, in all of this revelation and all of this God proving himself that he is who he says he is and that he exists and that he loves us and he wants a relationship with us and all of this, you know, there were still people who didn't believe. The Bible says there were still Pharisees and teachers of the law, real religious types that would see all of this happening. They would see Jesus literally raise a man from the dead in Lazarus and they would still not believe. Leading us to think that it's not really about God proving himself all over again to another group of people. It's really about you and I not wanting to bow our knee to our Lord. You might say, well, what about naturalistic evolution or the problems in the Bible or all of those things. Listen, if Jesus has been risen from the dead, as Paul says, our entire faith hinges on that. If Jesus has been risen from the dead, then God creating something out of nothing, life or the the earth material out of nothing is easy for him. If, If Jesus has been risen from the dead, then inspiring men to write the scripture and to put it together is easy for him. That's not too hard for him. If Jesus has been risen from the dead, then all bets are off. You know, every 10 years you can look back and see that maybe the way that you dressed or the way that you looked or the way that you did your hair or whatever was, was wrong. You might look back and think, oh, that, that was wrong. I, 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 man, that was so messed up. It's funny when we look back. Here's a senior picture of me. And um, you can go ahead and laugh. I know it's, it's okay. You can make fun of me. Um, There's so much wrong in this picture, but what I was doing when I took this picture, I was just doing what the photographer told me to do. Like he said, okay, put your arm up like this and and put your other arm like that. And I, so I did what he told me to do. Well, the picture came out like this. And now everyone that sees it, my family, my friends laugh at this picture. Some of our staff have this picture as their contact for me in their phone. That's not funny. I tried to hide this picture and somehow it's come, it's come out. But when I look back at this picture, I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I did that. I cannot believe I dressed like that or or thought that way or believed that way. Listen, it's okay to look back and know and believe that some of the things that you thought were wrong. Sometimes it's even funny. What's not okay is to look back or to evaluate and say, maybe I've been wrong about Jesus. Maybe, 
Maybe I've been wrong about it. You see, what would it hurt for you to reinvestigate the the resurrection or maybe to investigate it for the very first time? If Jesus says he's the only way to heaven, then surely the eternal destination of your soul is worth your investigation of Jesus, your reinvestigation of Jesus, your reinvestigation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's worth it. It's worth the investigation. The eternal destination of your soul is worth it. And so we've got a new kind of faith that is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it means that you can rise because the sun rose. And then secondly, we've got a new source of faith. We've got a new source of our faith. You know, you can imagine being one of the disciples, being huddled up in that room, scared, afraid, ashamed, thinking it wasn't supposed to be like this. We thought, Jesus, we thought you were going to do this, but you didn't. This, this wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't going to be this way. And so they're scared. They're, they're wondering if they're next if they're going to be next on the cross. And so they're scared. They're huddled up together. They're locked in a room. They're afraid. They're ashamed. And I'm sure you can imagine because we've all been there before, right? We put our, we put our hope or our faith in, in our finances or in our health or in our success or in our job or in money or in a house or in car. We put our faith in those things. And you and I know, we all know, Those things will always let us down because they can change in a second. They all can change with a phone call. And many of you have been there before. The loss of a job, the loss of money, the loss of a family member, a friend. You've gotten the phone call about the sickness. We've all been there. And so putting your faith in those things, when you think about it, it doesn't really make sense. Putting my faith in my situation, in my circumstances. No, the follower of Jesus puts their faith in the resurrection. That's the source of our faith. And so even in the midst of trial and tragedy, we can have hope. Because our faith, the source of our faith is not in our situation. It's not in our health. It's not in our finances. It's not in our job. The source of our faith is the resurrection. And so we can have hope in times of tragedy and loss. You know, Jesus in John chapter 11 finds out that one of his dear friends is sick and dying. And so they come and tell him, And they actually use these words, Jesus, the one you love. Some translations say your dear friend, Lazarus, is sick and dying. Some of you have been there before. You've gotten that news. The one you love, your dear friend, your dear family member is sick and dying. And Jesus doesn't do what everyone expects him to do. He doesn't go rushing to Lazarus' side. In fact, He waits a couple of days and then he shows up. They tell Jesus, Jesus, thanks for coming, but you're too late. You ever thought that before? 
I mean, I think if you're honest, we would say we've all felt like that before. Like Jesus, you're too late. It already happened. I already lost the job. I already lost my friend. I already lost the family member. You're too late, Jesus. Thanks for thinking of me, but you're too late. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, will live. And to prove that Jesus had power even over death itself, he goes to the grave and he says, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man gets up and walks out of a tomb alive. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He didn't show up and say, hey, listen, just go and read this verse and it will take care of everything. He didn't come up and give them some sort of philosophical or theological answer to their suffering and their loss. He doesn't just kind of pat them on the shoulder and say, hey man, I'll pray for you. I know times are tough, but I'm gonna pray for you. No, Jesus shows up in their time of loss and says, you get me the resurrection and the life. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Problem of Pain, He said, when you're going through suffering, when you've experienced the greatest tragedies you've ever could know, you don't want a verse, you don't want theology, you don't want philosophy. All you really need is the person of Jesus. He's the answer. The person is the answer we need. And so Jesus says, I'm the resurrection of life. You believe in me, even though you die, you'll live. And I know some of you are like, that's great for Lazarus. He rose Lazarus from the grave. He hadn't done that for me. Did you know Lazarus died again? Everything I didn't read that. Well, yeah, Lazarus isn't still around today. He did die again. And you know what? Because he believed in Jesus, even though he died, he now lives. And he's with the Father in heaven. You know, the message of Scripture isn't that God is going to continue to heal or to fix and heal and fix and heal and fix to keep you alive for the rest of your life. That's not God's plan. The Bible says the curse of sin is death. And so you and I, we will all die. We will all face God one day. 10 out of 10 of us, we're going to die unless Jesus returns like he said he would. But we will all die. It's the curse of sin. And so God's not trying to keep you alive over and over and over again here on this earth. No, no, no. He's giving you a new life, a new and eternal life on a new earth. And we'll talk more about that at the end of this series, but Jesus came to bring dead people back to life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, will live. You know, this is where the Disciples got their newfound courage after they saw Jesus risen from the dead. They saw the sun risen. And so now they live their lives without fear. And so Peter, who was one of the ones that was locked up in that room, scared and afraid, wondering what's just happened. Jesus, we thought you were going to do this. He's scared and afraid. Peter, the one who denied Christ, worried that he was next. Scared. But now he's seen Jesus risen from the dead 
And so in Acts chapter 2, because he's seen Jesus risen from the dead, now Peter's not scared anymore. He stands up, Acts 2 says, raises his voice and addresses this crowd and begins to tell them that you crucified the Son of God. But he rose again three days later and God has made this Jesus whom you crucified Lord. Peter's not scared anymore. He's told to quit talking about Jesus. He doesn't stop talking about Jesus. He's beaten. He won't stop talking about Jesus. They tell him, we're going to kill you if you don't stop talking about Jesus being risen from the dead. He won't stop. He doesn't care because he's seen Jesus risen from the dead. You can't kill someone who can never die. And so Peter keeps on preaching. James, the brother of Jesus, thought Jesus was crazy. I mean, can you imagine your brother telling you he's the son of God? It's, it's, it's hilarious. I, I mean, it literally says in the scripture, I laugh every time I read it because I've got three brothers. They tell him his brothers thought he was crazy. They thought Jesus had lost his mind. But now James, Jesus is risen from the dead. He appears to James and now James is a follower of Jesus and he believes Jesus rose from the dead and he ends up giving his life as a martyr. His head was chopped off. He wouldn't recant. He wouldn't turn. They told him, quit preaching about Jesus, your brother. He said, no, no, no. I've seen him risen from the dead. I can't stop talking about what I've seen and heard. It's what all the disciples would say. Stop preaching about Jesus. No, we can't stop. We can't stop. We won't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. We saw him risen from the dead. They would say, we touched him with our hands. We saw him with our eyes. We ate with him. They all said this. It wasn't one person who might have hallucinated. No, all the disciples and all these followers of Jesus that saw Jesus risen from the dead, almost all of them went to their graves, dying tortuous deaths, saying they saw Jesus risen from the dead. And here's the thing. They were in position to know whether or not it was true or false. No one told them this. They said, we are eyewitnesses to this. We saw it. They were in position to know whether it was true or false. No one dies for something they know to be a lie. People die for things they've been told and they believe it's true, but no one dies for something they know to be alive, especially not all of the disciples and all of these followers of Jesus who couldn't recant on what they saw and knew to be true. They lived without fear. They rose above their fear and their situations because they saw the sun rise. And you can rise above your fear, above your situation. You can rise and you will rise because the sun rose. You can rise from the dead even because the sun rose from the dead. You know, as Christians, we're all mourning people. You're like, no. I already told you I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a morning person. No, no, no. As Christians, we're all morning people. Because morning means it's a new day. And a new day means the sun has risen. And so you and me, as followers of Jesus, we are all now morning people. Because the sun rose we can rise to. Would you stand? Our team's going to lead us in time of worship. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I believe today's the day. And now is the time for you to give your life 
to Jesus. And so if you're here and that's your decision, I want to challenge you. Go on our website, thecitylbk.church and fill out that form and check that box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ. You can believe without seeing yourself because so many believed after seeing Jesus risen from the dead. People like Thomas, like James, like Peter, like all of the disciples, like all these followers of Jesus who believed after seeing. This isn't a blind faith. No, we believe because they saw and went to their deaths proclaiming that Jesus rose from the grave. And so if you're here and you would like to give your life to Jesus, I would challenge you to fill out that form and check that box that says you're committing your life to Christ. Good people don't go to heaven, but forgiven people do. And Romans 3 says you're made right with God when you give your life to Jesus. And for all of us as followers of Jesus this morning, we celebrate that because the sun has risen, we can and will rise too. So you can rise above your fear. You can rise above above your frustration. You can rise above your anxiety, your depression. You can rise above it all because the sun has risen. You can and will rise. Micah, the prophet, said this in Micah chapter 7, hundreds of years before the time of Christ. He said, don't gloat over me, my enemy. Don't gloat over me. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Micah knew a new day was coming when the sun would come, when the sacrifice would come and shed his blood for our sin, but then would get up and walk out of the grave. And so he saw it. He saw a new day that was coming and said, though I've fallen, I will rise. Though I have died, I will rise because death has been swallowed up in victory. And so we give thanks to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who's defeated sin and defeated death. Let's worship Jesus this morning.